Talking Books on News Talk 106 to 108. I don't know. You know, it, it's like I don't have a singular definition of what the meaning of life is. I think, again, I go back to diversity. I'm looking at, well, different people define it differently. And certainly, I, I think educated, maybe more secular people in the world would kind of agree with Young. Oh, well, it's about searching. It's about finding. It's about always reading and, and finding something new. And I, I think that can be a wonderful way of life. I think probably that's how I live my life. But I also realize that many, if not most people in the world, probably don't share that, right? Most people in the world today are religious in some ways, that they have a sense that the meaning of life or the meaning of the cosmos has been written down. There's a theology that surrounds it. And so it's not about this kind of constant searching or constant education. It's about submitting to a philosophy that's already been written down. He who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. The incisive words of German philosopher Friedrich Willem Nietzsche. Hello, how are you? And you're very welcome to Talking Books. I'm Susan Cahill. It's lovely to have your company this evening. Well, on tonight's show, we're going to unpack how and where we find meaning in life with American sociologist and writer Paul Froese. Author of America's Four Gods, What We Say About God and What That Says About Us, and The Plot to Kill God, Findings from the Soviet Experiment in Secularization, published by the University of California Press. So what is a meaningful life? Do we stumble on happiness? And is purpose a collective project and less about individualism and more about moral community, social networks and planning? In his latest book, On Purpose, How We Create the Meaning of Life, Professor Paul Froese writes, Some people cannot be bothered to ponder the meaning of life. They don't find it useful. They experience life as a streaming series of challenges. You win or you lose, and you move on to the next one. Any attempt to discern an overall purpose to these rolling tasks and goals is a fool's errand. Better to just focus on the next item on the list instead of assessing what it all means. Yet in doing these things, we are implicitly deciding how best to live life. Even if there are no ultimate truths or philosophical principles guiding us, life can still feel purpose-driven. Its purpose is felt in the story we tell ourselves about our daily struggles and triumphs. So how do factors like race, education, upbringing, past experiences and community shape our purpose? or at least where we find meaning in life. And could it be argued that our purpose is whatever we imagine it to be? Hi, I'm Paul Froese. I'm a professor of sociology at Baylor University. And I've written, a, I think, I hope, a good book called On Purpose, How We Create the Meaning of Life. Paul, really well done on the book. It's a superb read and uh, very interesting. You cover also a lot of self-help and spirituality and big philosophical questions in it. So you pack in quite a lot. I'm just wondering, within all of that, what has sociology to say about purpose? When I took up this topic, 
one of the things I started to do is reading books about kind of how to find your purpose, how to find your meaning in life. And I think a theme in those is to find this one true path. I think where the sociology of religion speaks differently to this topic is that sociology is really about looking at variation. So what I was looking at is variation. How do people differ in how they think about life's purpose? And that took me to looking at changes over history and also differences between uh, countries and cultures. So I'm going to throw a philosophical question at you. Do you think we create our own meaning? I do, but I think we do it collectively, right? As a sociologist, I think that one's purpose in life is often talked about as something that you individually find, at least in the modern world. But one of the things that I think is constant throughout time is the fact that you can't think about yourself without thinking about the community. You only think about the self in relationship to others. And so in that sense, the meaning of life or the purpose people give to life is a collective construction. And I think a way of saying that in sociological speak is that we socially construct the meaning of life. And so that differs depending on the kind of community you're involved in and the point in history uh, that you live. Do you think it's useful, though, to be constantly thinking, what is the meaning of my life? What is my life's purpose? And within all of that, where does truth meet all of it? It's possibly part of the human condition to ask those questions, but do you think it's useful? I mean, that is, it, that's a deeply philosophical question, right? Is, it, it's kind of that, that Socratic thing is you have to analyze your life, or at least that's important somehow, and whether maybe that's therapeutic or not. I think for some people, searching for the meaning of life could be a helpful therapeutic thing. It makes them pause and think about what they're doing. I think for other people, it could be maddening, is that uh, they're always kind of constantly searching for questions that are unanswerable, um, and that can maybe create some sort of tension or conflict in their life. So I, I don't think there's kind of a, a universal answer to that. In my research, one of the things I find is people who are constantly in search of their purpose, it probably is an indicator that they're lost in some way and they're struggling to find some answer. Whereas other people who maybe feel confident about their purpose, they're embedded in a community which makes them feel significant and that's very healthy and so they feel that they already have the answer. However, that, that can drift into negative things too where if some groups or some communities feel very strongly that they have the, the one true answer to that question, it can maybe make them righteous about that and make them feel either hatred or dislike for other groups that maybe don't share their sense of meaning, their sense of purpose. I suppose some people are trying to shake it up a bit and shake their lives up a bit. And then within all of that, that leads them into areas like, what is my purpose? Do you think it's possible that in some way we're all looking for this supremely interesting life that is laced with all these remarkable events and that maybe we've got it all wrong? Yeah, I mean, this takes me back to the, the discussion of sociology, and that is, you know, different people are going to want different things and be satisfied by different things. And so... Some people, either based on their personality type or the kind of, of upbringing they had, 
want constant excitement. They need constant newness. Other people probably find the quiet life better. Maybe they, they're not interested in excitement. Maybe they've had too much drama in their childhood or whatever. And so there is, again, there's no one-size-fit-all meaning in life or purpose in life. One of the things I didn't want to do in the book is say, well, these, you know, here are the five steps to finding your purpose in life, because clearly that's not going to work for everybody. And, and it's all dependent on one social context. You know, those five steps will only work for certain people within certain social contexts. So I don't think overall, you know, we've lost a sense of our meaning in life or, you know, here is the answer to these questions. It's always a dynamic that the individual and his or her community are kind of negotiating constantly. And I think then we can find certain types of communities where maybe it's, it's negative for individuals and other types of communities where it's positive and it's healthy and it's therapeutic. Now, I laughed when I read your Frank Kafka quote that the meaning of life is Salalens. And it, it raises a very interesting question that maybe if we looked at life from that premise and then rework back to what we should all be doing and what we should be making the most of. It's certainly clear that when people go through big tragedies or bereavements, that they in some way allows them to see clearly what they should or should not be doing. I think so. One of the kind of the maybe the paradoxes of the data I was looking at was that on one level, people who say they find their life meaningful tend to be happier. On the other hand, people who have gone through tragedy or have had to deal with really bad hardship in their lives can also find life very meaningful in dealing with those tragedies. But those tragedies don't necessarily make them happier. So there is this kind of conceptual distinction between leading a happy life and leading a purposeful life. Another finding I had was that people who live in parts of the world in which there's a lot of tragedy, a lot of hardship, tend to say that they find their life meaningful. And the way I interpret that is, is that they're finding meaning in dealing with their struggles. And, and they're probably finding that meaning collectively within a community, dealing together with these struggles. Yeah, I find that very interesting. I think you referenced Liberia, and I've travelled extensively in Liberia. It's a remarkable oh, wow. country and an incredible people, very resourceful and resilient women. And maybe look comes down to gratitude that they have survived the collective trauma of the civil war. But you also reference then the countries like I think it was Holland and that they are one of the nations like also France I think somewhere in Denmark and Belgium mm -hmm. who have the least sense of purpose. And it does mm -hmm. raise a question of where money development consumerism, capitalism, whatever label you want to throw at it, and how that relates to our understanding of meaning in the world or whether it offers meaning. So at the country level one of the things that's very interesting is that wealthier countries, you tend to have, again, this is kind of aggregate data, in wealthier countries, it's more likely to have somebody say, I don't know what my purpose in life is. So, you know, kind of like Liberia being a very poor country, uh, having a lot of conflict within it, people tend to be very purposeful. However, if you look within countries, so let's say take within a wealthy country like France or Holland, it's the people at the bottom, so people who are poor or, and also kind of the elderly who are the ones who say that they feel that their life doesn't have purpose. 
So at the collective level, wealth is negatively related to purpose, but at the individual level, kind of within communities, wealth is positively related with purpose. Can I ask you, in terms of religion offering a system or structure of meaning in the world, what are the countries that have the most meaning when we bring up ideas related to religion and how it's interpreted to offer or to give meaning? So again, at the country level, and this is all kind of related to wealth too, countries that have more religious people tend to have people who feel that they have a purpose. And that that makes sense because religions provide meaning systems for people. And so that if you're really struggling in life, it does appear that there's some solace and it definitely provides some sort of existential meaning to say, okay, your life is is very hard and tough, but it makes sense in this kind of larger scheme. There's a God and God is creating meaning and God loves you. And so it provides this kind of larger sense of purpose in the cosmos that provides, I think, some solace and some comfort to people. But that said, I also find that, you know, secular people can feel very purpose-driven too. I think the common denominator is it's people who feel attached to their communities. That, to me, is the variable that explains the best why some people feel purpose and other people don't. And so, clearly, religions tend to provide community, and if people are attached to those communities, they're going to feel purpose-driven. But presumably, within all of that, Paul, not everyone finds systems of meaning in faith. So you could have a busy entrepreneur who has a great sense of purpose because they're developing their company. Or you could have a sports person or a political leader. They're all very driven and living very purposeful lives. Yes, I think the key aspect of this, or at least this is my way of interpreting this, is that it's about moral communities. And so you tend to be within a network of people where you share a kind of a similar moral view of the world. And so your example of the CEO or the business person who finds purpose in, let's say, capitalism, they're embedded within a culture and a community that similarly finds that meaningful, that that wealth creation is not only uh, satisfying on some level, but it's also moral. It means that you're doing something good for society, you're obviously doing something good for yourself, but other people see this as you being a kind of an upstanding citizen. And so you can imagine in a different kind of, of moral community where the creation of wealth or, you know, kind of increasing your own bank account is seen as a negative thing. You know, what are you doing? This is all selfishness. And I think if, if you're in that kind of community and you believe that stuff, then that's not going to be a satisfying purpose in life. That kind of person is going to be like, well, what am I doing? I'm just making money, but isn't there something bigger than this? So I think it all relates back to one's kind of moral culture, one's moral community, what is being defined as a good life versus a bad life. What about love and friendship in terms of offering some form of meaning? I imagine that it is significant. Yes. I mean, I think that love and friendship really is the core of all purposes of life. So, for instance, some people have done interesting studies of religious cults. And and you think especially kind of the most radicalized religious groups, like uh, people who are Islamic terrorists, is some 
psychologists and sociologists have made the argument that the dedication some people feel to very radical ideology is actually